certified black belts earn 16.7 to 26.8% higher salary than those who are not certified. You know, I got lucky. I had a company that invested in me many, many tens of thousands of dollars. This is what we're doing. We're doing a subscription model. This means that you decide how much that you're going to pay by how long you take to complete the program. If you finish faster, you pay less. It's it's pretty much that straightforward. As for now, it's going to be $270 per month. That's less than $9 per day. Just consider this. Even if it takes you a full year to complete it, you'll still pay several thousand dollars less than with a comparable program. The value of this goes far beyond that. And the value of the fact that it's self-paced, your boss doesn't have to excuse you from work. You don't have to take vacation. You do it on your own time. So here's how you apply. Go to www.esuccess-methods.com slash BB2017. Here's the password. All lowercase, e 6 s dash BB2017. That's the only way you can get to the application page, and this is the only place I'm sharing that password. The application deadline is February 28th, 2017. Again, limited to only 20 candidates. I wouldn't hesitate. I would take advantage of this right now. The price is low, and again, I can only take 20. Once that space fills up, that's it. Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean Six Sigma project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 155, we just ask Control-Shift-Escape to break us out of here. Down with dogma, Jacob and I discuss where and when we think certain rules shouldn't apply or no longer make sense and may actually do more harm. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Hey, Jacob, how are you? I'm good, Adam. How's things with you? Jacob, I am doing great. Long time, no talk again. I know. It's been a while. We seem to be saying this a lot nowadays. <laughs> Every time we talk, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Like big gaps in between. It's <laughs> all right. The, uh, the audience will be happy to hear your voice again. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, in the time that we've uh, been apart, um, yeah, I've just been uh, opening my eyes to things that are, you know, going on around me, and I, I tend to... You know, I find things I find frustrating and then and then things that just don't make sense. Like, why are we doing that? And I kind of get why we do that, but it really doesn't apply here. So why are we still doing that? So this the this whole notion of dogma and, and that I wanted to get together and talk about those situations that we maybe we've come across where there are rules in place. People are blindly following the rules and they just can't pick their head up long enough to recognize, hey... It doesn't look like the rule really applies here. It doesn't make sense. Maybe I should, you know, uh, have a caveat for this particular one. And I, I, I put it in here, Control-Shift-Escape, which is basically back. those are the control keys for getting back to the task manager and saying, okay, let me think about this rather than just doing exactly what my form or whatever my current rules say I'm ac- absolutely supposed to do no matter what because it doesn't always fit. Okay. So... So for one example that I that just blew my mind, actually, we had a uh, in one of my trainings, we had a paraplegic uh, student in in Greenbelt, and we had a we had a training in one facility, and this person he drove to the facility, he rented a car, and shortly after he parked his car, he parked it in a handicapped spot. He's wheeling into the facility, and the security guard says, "I'm sorry, sir, you you can't park there." 
Why not? He's literally in a wheelchair talking to this person. Well, you don't have handicap tags. So mm. it's like, well, yeah, I get that. You know, that's the rule. And maybe he'd get a ticket, and I'm sure he could fight the ticket. But, you know, his rental car didn't have the tags. But he, but he's clearly handicapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh. And you've got all these. So they made him park around the opposite side of the building, and he had to wheel himself back to the front door. It, it, he, he, like 20 minutes of extra time because of this, just this blind following of the rules. And for me, it was like, and that was just the start of that particular experience. Cause we actually had a um, fire drill later that day. Uh, and he came, you know, and nobody knew what to do. And he was told by some person, well, just go down the elevator, which, you know, you're not supposed to do in a fire. You're not supposed to go down the elevator. Mm -hmm. Uh, in a fire. Um, So he gets outside, and then somehow the conversation came up where one of the safety officers, you know, it's like an hourly person who's, you know, volunteering their extra time to be the safety officer, and this facility was run like that because they had all kinds of things that you could tell were standardized in how they did this procedure. And I won't even get into that, but it was bogus. Uh, But, you know, they criticized this guy for using the elevator. It's like, well, you really should have taken the stairs. And he just looks up at him. He's like, are you serious? How the hell did you think I was going to take the stairs? Like three flights of stairs. Uh, do you not see this wheelchair right here? <laughs> so dogma. That's but, what I'm saying now. Go down with the dogma. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the scenarios, both of them very, very valid, mm. but I want to ask the question. I mean, the question comes from the other side, right? Why are the, why, why was the security guard in this case? Why was the, the safety officer asking those questions? Mm-hmm. Is it because they didn't see it? Or is it because they weren't incentivized to do the right thing? Right. You know, I mean, that, that comes down. At the end of the day, that's what most people are doing. Is, I mean, you know, it's kind of like what I keep saying when you're doing something. Nobody comes to work saying, I want to be a jerk today. I just want to do a shitty job. Mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think anybody's coming into work saying that or doing that. It's what they are getting incentivized on. It's what they are getting measured on. It's what they are asked to do. So, it's what they've been told and that they've uh, yeah. and are, if, are secure that they're allowed to do. Yeah, and if they are exactly right, and if and the, and the thing is, if they don't do it that way, there is a penalty or something else that mm-hmm. they have to face. A risk. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So they themselves might get in trouble for exactly. thinking differently and not following the rules, rules and then they become. The liable party. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand that. And so what it does take is a, uh, it's a culture that allows you to go beyond what the written rules are and... Be sensible. You know, take, take a, well, it, you shouldn't have to feel like you're taking a personal liability risk mm-hmm. by making, by doing something that's uh, against the rules. Now... And, and I don't mean you know breaking the law, but you know even in the army, and this is interesting because you're trained in in the military that you must follow orders mm-hmm. unless it's an unlawful order. So even though they teach you to blindly do as you're told, they also say, "But you better not do something that's unlawful," which essentially is is killing of innocent uh, people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're supposed to. Be protected from that. Well, you, you'll be held liable. So that's you know that's what they did with the Nuremberg trials. You know, I was just following orders. Well, that wasn't that didn't cut it. So you can't you can't do that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, you're supposed to know that that was unlawful. So, it, you know, they're speaking through both sides of their mouth saying you better follow orders and, oh, by the way, but not these kinds of orders. And, and it's really am, ambiguous what's considered unlawful in, in some of those situations. But you still are, as a, a soldier, expected to, I guess, question I think. the rules at, the, at yeah. that point when it comes down to the right thing for the right situation. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I mean, that same situation, like you you said earlier, right? Like, say, in that, in that elevator fire uh, fire drill. Right. Say if it was a true fire. It would have been a bad you didn't know situation it. to use the elevator. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. and the elevator was still working. Right. And, you know, this person or any other person who was in this situation decides to use the elevator. Mm-hmm. And let's say the elevator got stuck or something drastic happened. What's What's the outcome going to be? Right. That, you know, whoever is in the elevator, whoever is in that situation is going to sue the life out of anybody and everybody in that case. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, that's what America's turned into. <laughs> so uh, everybody has the opportunity to do anything and everything they want or sue anybody and everybody they want. So what's so, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and, and I think, and that's why you see pretty much anybody and everybody trying to cover their, you know, for lack of a better term, their behinds or asses mm-hmm. in uh, in anything and everything they do. And that's why some of these rules, even though they don't make sense, or even though the rules make sense, if they're not followed to the T, some people take very big offense to it. Right. And and what's interesting, though, is that, uh, and clearly, and this person would have a legal, a legal uh, leg to stand on, or, wow, really poor pun. <laughs> this person, mm-hmm. yeah. um, he has a legal... Um, you know, f- battle if he wanted to, because clearly they did not account a lot for uh, plan for accessibility the- for somebody to be on exactly. a different floor in the event of an emergency. Their contingency yeah. didn't didn't plan for that. They planned for was- the majority yeah. of people who would be in that building, but they didn't plan for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's interesting because you know I don't think I know of any place that plans for a handicap. Uh, accessibility yep. on multiple floors. I, you know, we basically said, you know, if this was real, we'd have tossed them over our shoulder. You know, we would have carried them down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how did you know it was a fire drill? You you assume because nobody's <laughs> running in panic and you don't see any smoke. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, those are the kind of things, right? Right. It was an assumption. So, what if it was not an assumption and it was something else? You know? Yeah, I know. And and this one, you know, I. I I, I get, you know, in some places the the elevators don't even work in yeah. a uh, in an emergency situation in a high rise building. The, well, really, the reason that the elevators shut down is because in a high rise is mostly because they need them accessible for the firefighters because the firefighters mm-hmm. use the elevator and not the stairs. So because they got to get to the fire fast, that's yeah. one reason. But um, so interesting. I I don't I don't know how we accommodate handicap in you know say a high-rise situation if there's a, a fire i think we don't <laughs> i actually think we don't yeah uh, but that you know that's just one that's one example yeah, no, one example the yeah. the the handicap parking really got to me you know what's the risk you know um i, I think that was a, a bit oh. just dumb i it depends again if you know the city is going to give not just a city or town or what it is is going not giving just that individual, but also the company a ticket. I don't know. I don't think it happens that way. Right. 
But then if that was what that person's paid to do, then, you know, he or she's probably going to get, you know, reprimanded or whatever it is, you know, to be in trouble for it. So he was just trying to keep cover his ass. Who knows? Yeah. So let's get to this this one other example because, I, I, you know, American Express, my, my uh, travel card had gotten compromised and uh, it was a corporate card. And they sent me an email and they said, hey, it looks like there was fraud, but they messed up because um, – the luckily, well, the, the good point is the f- purchases that were fraudulent, they already blocked, but uh, they screwed okay. up in a little bit. They one of the charges that they said were fraud was actually not. So I, I called them to correct it. It's like, hey, you know, um, I got this thing. I'm just calling because this one's not a fraud fraudulent. And, and the reason I called them is because I, I was having a hard time. Uh, following their procedure because they wanted me to print it and they wanted me to fax it and they wanted me to do all these other things. So instead I called the number. They said, if you have any questions, call this number. So I call this number and he's like, Oh, okay, well then you can just print it and fax it and write it on a note to uh, say that, you know, this is all fine. I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's why I called because I can't do that. Um, he's, then he's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, let me just ask him. They sit right over here. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me to, Go back and forth and finish up, do a, a process that didn't, for me, didn't make any sense to me because that was just how it was done. Uh, but, uh, you know, luckily he recognized that, okay, well, maybe this isn't necessary. And he, he became a person rather than just a, a, a cog in the wheel at that point and said, oh, yeah, it's all good. But um, for a moment there, I was like, what's going on, Amex? Why can't you just fix this now? So he, luckily, he 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 turned the dogma down in that in that case. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So what about you? You see any dogma in your in your life? You don't get frustrated the same way I do. No, I don't. I just <laughs> deal with it. It's probably because I'm from that third world country and I'm used to all this stuff, and you're on this, you know. We're you talking about the, what? Yeah. There's no. Uh, I, I've uh, I, third world. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I will say that <laughs> the uh the 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 driving in uh Chennai uh uh-huh. makes me wonder I I don't think anybody's got a problem with dogma there. I'm pretty sure that the rules don't apply. <laughs> exactly. You make your own rules. <laughs> that is one place so, yeah. I will I will never get behind the wheel in in India. No way. That was an experience. Well, would you would you do it in Mexico? I don't know. I've never been to Mexico. You never been to Mexico City? No, I've never been to Mexico. So I'm guessing uh, probably not because I don't even want to drive in New York. So Yeah, I've heard Mexico City is comparable. Like when I went to Monterey and all the other places, I didn't feel as much. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed more organized and more clear. Like even Nogales and stuff when I went, it's as long as you knew which direction you were going, I thought most people were very, very respectful of the other people. Mm-hmm. I heard Mexico City isn't necessarily that way. But yeah. But, you know, look at the flip side. If you know how to drive there, you can drive anywhere in the world. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think, uh, you know, with respect to dogma, I think one of the things that come to my mind fresh is, you know, equating any sort of lean or a Six Sigma project to financial benefits and you're forced to do it. And sometimes in some cases, you're just trying to find any and every penny Mm-hmm. to prove that what you did was a really, really helpful one. And some of them might not even be true or realistic. Mm-hmm. It might just be a number that nobody else is 
willing to challenge it or wanting to challenge it, and you're just putting it out there. So in this case, and this is one of the things I have with financial benefits anyway, because um, yeah, anything, if you're doing something that's actually forward-looking and strategic, the financial benefits are real shaky. You, you really don't know. Um, yep. But they have to be done because they're innovative and they're forward-looking. The only thing you can have a solid a solid financial benefit for are are things that are really incremental and immediate, basically cost reduction. But anything mm-hmm. that's development and forward-looking for either a new market or um, innovation, you really have no way of knowing until several years out. So... So that for things to be dogmatically chosen based off of financial benefit analysis, uh, I agree. I think I think you throw it out the door because it no longer applies when you're talking about a strategic initiative. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the choosing part of it, right? It's even the like, yeah. I mean, in some cases, you chose the project because of you know financial benefits, but in every case, in every project, you're asking everybody to do that activity before the project is considered closed. Mm-hmm. And and that's what bothers me more than anything else, you know. Um, well, so the dogma is is that everything must have an ROI. Exactly. Yeah. So why do so, we do that? Because that's what the book teaches us. And, <laughs> and because no, but honestly, that's what traditional project management is, right? At the end of any project, you want to make sure that the time you invested in it is you're getting the effort for it, and you're proving to senior leadership that you invested in this team to do certain things, and here's how your investment's paying back. Mm-hmm. And you're having to prove that ROI or you're having to prove the effectiveness of this team that how it's helping the organization. That's why most of the teams are doing or most of the organizations are continuing to fuel or feed that. So, I mean, so that's a dogma of uh, essentially finance accounting or I I assume so because everything is expected to have a return on investment and everybody answers to somebody, uh, Mm -hmm. investors or whatever. Yep. So when does it not make sense? When does uh, doing financial benefits? Right. Uh, I mean, the question is, by doing the financial benefits, what are you getting? Mm-hmm. Besides proving it to somebody you did this, what are you really gaining out of it? Well, the reason you're trying to prove it is to uh, gain credibility for the next time around. Yeah. But does it have to be because of financial benefits or can it be because of customer feedback or customer experience or anything of that sort? which is probably what the metric or the goal of the project was anyway, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily the financial benefit, then why are we doing the financial benefits? So is your issue with, more with the, the, you know, especially with the soft soft benefits or with the time it takes to, to be very detailed in your cost estimations or? Combination of all of the above. Okay. That's just my perspective. No, and, and I think I've probably shared my perspective before. I think this whole uh, approach to financial benefits uh, leads to more harm than good. But mm-hmm. I have not seen anybody, I mean, because I'm actually going to write about it in the book, but I have not seen anybody get away from it. it, it yeah. Everybody knows the numbers are wrong. It hurts the credibility of the program, but we still insist on doing it. So I will say, you know, at least our team or our organization now, we don't necessarily, we don't select projects based on financial benefits. Uh, we don't necessarily, you know, compare you know, this project saved us so much more money compared to the other project. None of that's done. Mm-hmm. We encourage project managers to do some sort of benefits analysis, mm-hmm. mainly because it is a traditional practice at the end of every project to show 
how it how the impact helped the team or helped the organization. So if that means more files are processed with the same number of resources, or you know you were able to tack on additional additional capacity because of the project, translate how would that have been as an additional cost or a saved cost or yada yada yada. And if the defects have gone down and that basically is more you know revenue or whatever that turns out to be, then count that as a benefit. Got it. So it, it begs the question again, why? Mm-hmm. If that's, you know, everybody sees the benefits, uh, the impact that it has made, then why do you want to add a financial aspect to it? Or two, the question is, is that because it's typically always done in any project, so we should also continue doing that. Right. So that's one that comes to my mind. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. I will be providing one-on-one coaching, self-paced online learning. As a reward for you being a loyal listener to the podcast, I will lock in 20 participants at this price. Go to www.e6s-methods.com slash bb2017. Here's the password, lowercase e6s-bb2017. So if you can afford that $9 per day, you're hardworking, you're superstar in the making, I wouldn't hesitate. Once that space fills up, that's it. What about in Agile? Does Agile help you get away from that? I don't know if it helps you get away because, you know, I think some of the things I would see that is challenging in Agile is, or I would say, again, dogmatic in Agile is Mm. the fact that, uh, you know, there is a push for you have to release in two weeks or you have to release in the time that your sprint cycle is getting to. Now, Agile doesn't say that, but that's kind of a, a, that's a kind of common a practice sense. for Scrum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and even XP also. I think at the end of the day, you're trying to reduce total cost of ownership. You're trying to do certain things. Agile specifically does not say it. It says in a much more frequent basis, mm-hmm. and it says in a uh, I forget the exact words of it. I should pull the manifesto, but it basically says you know certain principles are you want to release more frequently, so you're basically getting feedback more frequently. Uh, but you know some people equate that to as much as possible or as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, what, it, what it's truly trying to say is be commonsensical about it. <laughs> you know, do what works best for the team. So I, I know, um, I mean, two weeks since just sounds arbitrary. I mean, mm-hmm. is there any science behind two weeks? No, I think the, the encouragement is if you can get work done in smaller chunks, mm-hmm. get it done in smaller chunks, and you're going to get feedback faster. It, they right. don't necessarily say two weeks. If you can make things happen in a week, then do things in a week, and then that gives you feedback faster so you can change appropriately. So where did this uh, dogma of two weeks crop up, you think? I think it's just you know uh, people doing things without totally understanding the whole concept behind it. Well, because it, it is pervasive. I mean, two weeks has spread with the rest of the... Uh, the world, I think the industry, rest of the world across I mean, industries across industries you know right. I don't think it's I don't everybody think everybody says two week sprints it started somewhere um, yeah. but uh, I don't think it's prescriptive per se no no I think in, in reality if you read the the textbooks it's anywhere between one to four weeks okay what whatever makes the best sense so uh, I know I know it, where I am when as they're trying to transition into 
agile, they denied two weeks. They're like, well, you know, let's start with a month because they're still very waterfall. So, yeah. I mean, they still were encouraged to continue to try to break it down for two weeks, but they weren't finding two weeks was working. They couldn't get anything out that fast, essentially. Um, yeah. So they, they're struggling to hit a month at this point. Yeah, and, you know, and we have actually, and we have customers, so we have products who want to release more frequently, mm-hmm. but our customers don't want us to. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and the reason is because the customer now has to do things on their end, and they don't want to frequently make changes. So they're they're asking us to not really they they don't want to see anything more than a quarterly release because even that is work for them. You know, so, that's int- well, I mean, and then and that's interesting because uh, you know release that's I mean that's full product release, but I don't yeah. know how I mean I get irritated when my even the apps on my phone change change like exactly. why, why did you change them I was fine with them they worked <laughs> yeah I, I don't I don't like this now <laughs> you don't you don't want the cool new feature that they have built it together for you yeah I didn't ask for it I liked what yeah. I had <laughs> that's right but you, know, but you know that's that's exactly the thing right that a lot of people who still feel that way so so is there then there's there's a dogma of just for in the tech world of being agile for the sake of being agile, releasing for the sake of releasing, even though the customer's not asking for it. Uh, I I don't think it's I don't think that necessarily is the dogma, but I think it's in general the fact that you have to release ASAP, which is what underlying uh, you know, and ASAP is everybody's is left to interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think that's the dogma. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that's you know truly a dogmatic situation or if it's more of a misunderstanding of why things were set up a certain way and people trying to blindly follow something without recognizing it. Mm-hmm. So here's here, you know with the, with agile there are two things that I I do believe or earlier I should say Scrum uh, two things that I think are are absolutely uh, prescriptive or maybe strongly encouraged. One of them is the uh, stable teams and another one is daily stand-ups now would you consider those to be dogma and if so are, do they sometimes not make sense uh i think they're both very very critical uh, now uh, so let me no. ask you this is there can you can you conceive of a time where it doesn't make sense to follow that rule so yes uh and i i still find it hard to believe but yes for sure mm-hmm. uh it's like especially with software and depending on what sort of project you're handling uh, a stable, in my opinion, a team that stays together is able to deliver things much more efficiently and effectively. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you think of any, you know, and I think the biggest analogy I can get to is sports, like teams that have the core or majority of them year after year sticking together. Like, you know, I think of the San Antonio Spurs in basketball, or I think of, for lack of a better term, New England Patriots. You can you can pick about 10 people who've been there for the last six to seven years. What do you mean, lack of better term? But, <laughs> What's wrong exactly. with the New England Patriots? No, nothing's wrong. I mean, I'm saying you know, there are very few teams that stay at that table. Uh, I don't right. know how many people follow football. I know, just how many people yeah. follow, yeah. But, you know, if you think of those comparisons, or the Green Bay Packers for that, you know, that are some of the things are so constant that it is you you know what to expect from them mm-hmm. and you can predict that yeah this team's going to be fantastic that's I just because of how cohesive they are of- how, you know, they've figured out how to work with each other they know the style of working they know how 
I need to interact with each other, how to execute. They figured it all out. And it's subconscious, really. It's at a, it's, yes. it's at a, it's at a unconscious level when you get mm-hmm. to that point. Yep. Exactly. So uh, from that aspect, it makes sense. Now, if I ask the New England Patriots to go start playing rugby, mm-hmm. are they going to be the best team in it? Or will they even be able to compete? Like get crushed. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's when the question of stability comes into question, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do I ask them to work on something or do something else that they have either no experience on or something else? I think they'll still be cohesive. They'll still find a way to make it work. But is that the best way to handle that scenario? Well, that's 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 applying, you know, the wrong the wrong thing to the wrong game, right? I mean, they they don't have the skills for that game. But 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 what what agile? So again, if you think of the premise of agile, what they're asking you is you have consistent teams who have multiple skill sets, right? So that at the end of the day, no matter what you throw at them, they are capable enough to tackle it. Okay, uh, that's the premise of agile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in real life probably doesn't work exactly that way. Uh, so that could be something that uh, when you when you say stable teams, that's about the only case where I say that that might not hold true. Right. So what about daily stand-ups? I mean, does it ever make sense or would it ever be to the team's detriment, you know, where I, that rule doesn't make sense? I think it totally makes sense. I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. It's like at the end of the day, you know, the five of us, the 10 of us, whoever it is, the group, said, this is what we will get done for you. Mm-hmm. And when I say done for you, it's done for the product manager or the product owner. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's up to the 10 of us to hold each other accountable and to f- to inform each other on the progress. Now, the question is, do I need a daily stand-up if I'm talking to everybody on my team all the time? If you ask it in that way, probably not. I would hope that everybody is aware of what is going on anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is more of a quick summarization. And that's why they say it shouldn't be more than 10 to 15 minutes. Right. It should be a quick checklist of where are we? How are we? Are we all on track? You know, here's something that I'm struggling with. And FYI, if somebody else has bandwidth or knows anything, let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to keep struggling with it. Mm-hmm. It's That's all it's supposed to be. Now, that's pretty think- much the only level of bureaucracy that, well, I guess Scrum that that scrum creates for agile and that's the that's the only bit of governance well, really yeah i mean and and that's the thing right it's it's a way, it's it's set up in a way so that Aaron, if two days in a row you are coming and saying the same thing mm-hmm. then it's like okay which means the other things that you wanted to sign up for or that you th- that we as a team thought you could do and you we as a team signed up for now is not going to get done mm-hmm. so that's me now holding you accountable so that, hey, you said you're going to get these things done. And if you're not pulling your weight, then we need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unless that is communicated and unless the team holds each other accountable, it will never happen. And I think that's that's the whole idea of the daily stand-up now. If it's not being used that way, which I can tell you right now, that <laughs> is not how most of the teams are using it. You know, and especially for teams that are truly trying to make that transition from a waterfall to an agile, it turns out to the scrum master asking every individual, so did you done? Did you do this yet? Are you done yet? Right. When, you know, it turns into that. Like, uh, which is um, just sort of task updates, you know, mm-hmm. yep. status updates. Okay. It turns into a status update for the scrum master. Got it. Versus 
a true, let's all make sure we are all in this together and we all are synced up to know whether we are on track or whether we have to work an extra hour or come into Saturday to get this shit done. Mm-hmm. That That's what that is meant to be. Okay. So you don't first, you don't see, you know, that's not something that should ever go in the uh, let's kill the dogma sort of situation. No, I Just, don't think so. I think it is very, if, if leveraged right, I think that's the most powerful thing you can have. Right. right. No, I agree. Um, uh, I don't have the experience you have with it, but I'm having a hard time thinking of the downside of, of <laughs> daily communications with your team. <laughs> Just, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, um, so I got some other things in here and, and like, uh, for instance, uh, work rules, you know, um, I got a lot of, we got a lot of coaches in my location and, uh, they all have to be in the office, but they all are literally coming in the office to spend the full day on the phone with people who are in other offices. So, you know, what's what's the benefit there? You know, there's mm. especially when we're, we're actually running out of desk space and they're making everybody sit at benches now and then the cubicles or cubicle walls are going away and we're trying to get more quote unquote collaborative, but we actually don't work with any of the people we have to sit with. So how does that make sense? Mm. Work rules. So, what, what, what? You know, the the dogma behind that. And then, I actually had this one. This is interesting. Uh, it's midnight. You stopped at a red light. Yeah. No traffic around. What do you do? It's a red light. Or you stop. I know what you do. <laughs> third world country driving. Uh, no, if I, if I truly am following third world, the red light means nothing to me. I see no traffic. I zoom. That's what I'm. I don't even slow down. Yeah. I just fly <laughs> so i actually had a <laughs> uh, um don't get caught doing that here now all right you better follow all rules or else uh-huh. <laughs> um so i actually had an ex-girlfriend who was pulled over uh by a cop you know at, at uh, like 11 p.m uh when she was stopped at a red light and he's like all right he told her he got out of the car he's like don't ever stop at a red light in this neighborhood at at night again, <laughs> he pulled her over to say, don't stop here. It's too dangerous. So he was like, I know it's the rules, but you can't follow them now. You got to go. <laughs> what? It was a dangerous, yes, dangerous neighborhood. And she was a young lady in a place where um, she had to keep moving, essentially. You know, interesting. So sometimes you got to know when the rules are not in your favor. You know, um, I don't know if you saw the. Did you see the Tom Hanks movie where he's he's playing Captain Sully, who was the... I did not see the movie yet, but uh, I've, of course, heard the story all over the place. Right. Well, our old company... Um, Built the solenoid for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We supplied the nickel that plated <laughs> the, the, the solenoid. Yes, yes. Solenoid. Sorry, I forget that part. We didn't build it. You're right. <laughs> we don't make most of the things you buy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he uh, Captain Sully had to break the rules because uh, in order to, in his split decision to land in the Hudson, I don't know what the rules told him that he had to do. He probably had to try to pull up, try to circle back around to a runway, but he didn't feel he had enough time. So he was like, I got to put it down right here. The Hudson River is the only place I can do it. And you know, right now he's credited for having saved uh, hundreds of lives because he didn't follow those rules. So again... He had to say down dogma, and uh, and and that was good because it didn't make sense in that situation. And you know that that's I guess that's what I'm going for. I 
rules are there for a reason, um, but we have to. If either if you're in a call service center or if you're a project manager, you have to double think. It's like, do these do these rules make sense for this? If I follow these rules, does it make things worse? Does it does it do the intended thing? And and if not, you know, can I bear the risks of uh, of breaking the rules in this situation? Do I am in the right culture for that? And I hope that companies build a good culture for that um, for people who can think through their jobs rather than just going through their jobs and just uh, checking the box and saying, nope, that's the process. That's what I'm paid to do. I can't do anything outside of this mold. But, you know, I think there's an important piece which you said, right? They're able to think through it. And I think it's even more important for a, a manager or the organization to explain why that rule was put into place. Mm-hmm. Because then only is somebody empowered enough to decide, okay, this was the reason why we had this rule in here, but here is something that makes complete sense on why I should be allowed to break that rule. Right. But let's be honest, right? We all have SOPs. We all have things on what and how things need to be done. And nobody ever explains on why was this created or set this way. Right. No, Nobody is, right? right. So it's it's just like that. You know, this is the rule that it's always been there. Um, so just follow it. So uh, you know this all that gets back to the you know ISO standards and everything and yeah, yes we have standard SOPs but uh for those of you who are customers of ISO but don't really know what ISO ISO allows you to break your own rules whenever you see fit you know there's a waiver process when you say this rule doesn't apply anymore we've looked at it we've looked at whatever we're trying to trying to do we've signed off on the waiver we are not going to follow that procedure and you and then you that's the escape clause that's that's your way out of your own rules uh, but uh, when you get caught in the dogma like I mean we, we do dumb things as companies because we, we think that one size fits all with all the rules but they don't so when you when you need standard processes but they don't all, don't apply sign a waiver you know <laughs> uh, break down the dogma but most of us are not empowering our folks enough to recognize that. And that gets back to exactly what you said. How do I know what the true spirit behind this, this rule or procedure is? Um, yeah. All I know is that this is what I'm supposed to do day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's all I have to say. <laughs> yep. I think that's, uh, that's basically it. So, you know, bottom line, use common sense whenever and wherever and whenever you're doing things. Right. And we have to practice common sense in order to keep it, keep it moving. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, Jacob. Thank you very much. All right, Aaron. Have a good one. I hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, Hopefully, yes. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to episode 155 of the E-Success Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 156, where I interview Rodolfo Dominguez for his insights and experiences while undergoing a massive IT systems overhaul. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in our comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at esuccess-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then clamor and share it. Don't forget you can buy notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. I will be providing what I'll call an elite level of mixed training. Whatever pace you can go, you'll be certified as somebody completely capable of performing at a black belt level. So you say, but Aaron, my company won't pay for my certification. I can't afford to pay for it myself. And I'll say, I know because 
I offer those programs, but I also want to make sure that I can get to those people who cannot afford to do it themselves. This is what we're doing. We're doing a subscription model. This means that you decide how much that you're going to pay by how long you take to complete the program. So here's how you apply. Go to www.esuccess-methods.com slash BB2017. Here's the password. All lowercase E6S-BB2017. Push through it real hard. You could be done in two months. Give it some due diligence. You can be done in five months. If you give it some time and work through it and it still takes you a year, you still saved a ton of dough. So if you can afford $9 per day, you're hardworking and you have a burning desire to grow and develop as a problem solver and, you know, 20% extra potential pay bump wouldn't be bad, I wouldn't hesitate. I would take advantage of this right now. The price is low and again, I can only take 20. Once that space fills up, that's it. 